We are continuing our series, uh, Church Scene Investigation, CSI. And we're looking at these um, letters in the scary book of Revelation. And uh, Brian can't see me, can you? Thank you very much, dear. Um, so Revelation is a, is a scary book because it, it's, quite a, it's quite hard to understand some of it. It's quite a lot of symbolism and, and pictures, and I, I generally find it quite difficult to read. The only good thing about, well, not the only good thing, but the very good thing about Revelation is it's very easy to find in the Bible. Okay, so right back towards the end. So we're looking at the last book. And we're looking at these, these letters to the churches, and we're looking at them in the context of how does this relate to our church, and how does this relate to us? And these letters um, were quite hard-hitting. They weren't lovely letters. They were quite difficult letters, I'm sure, to read, and we'll, di- we'll discover that as we go through. And it is quite difficult to hear criticism and suggestions for improvements. Yeah? You all had appraisals at work where, you know, some things are okay, and then other things you could work on. And we don't like to hear those. Parents' evenings. You've sat at parents' evenings like, well... And Charlotte, I'll, I'll use Charlotte because you're no longer at the school, so it's fine. And Charlotte is not afraid to voice her opinions, was one we got. <laughs> yeah, that was her RE teacher. <laughs> that was very good. Now, I spend a lot of my working life teaching people how to do stuff. But if I don't point out where they're doing it wrong, what's going to happen when they get to the exam? They're not going to pass it. So I know they don't like me pointing out when they're doing it wrong, and obviously I try and do it in a nicer way as possible, rather than going, you're being an idiot, as it says. <laughs> but we do need to hear. So as we talk through these letters, and as we think about these letters, let's think about the context in which they were written, and we'll talk a little bit about the places and how those people would have kind of lived their lives, and therefore why some of this criticism, these suggestions for improvement... Um, were leveled at them. But let's think about how it relates to us and our church, but also how it relates to us as individuals. And that can sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable because we don't like to be told we're not doing things right. But um, but let's do it uh, in the love that it was given. You know, God wrote these letters to try and help these churches improve. And if we don't hear that, then um, yeah, we're missing a trick and we're missing the blessing that can come from getting things right. So, we're on postal... I was very tempted to dress up as Postman Pat. Very. I didn't. But we are on postal route four and five. Okay, so we are... If I get my little thing to... There. We're there. Okay? Thyatira and Sardis we're going to be looking at today. So we're kind of moving uh, moving along. And I thought we would do this slightly, slightly differently. So I have a letter to the third church at Thyatira... Um, which I'm going to ask Jan to read for us. Um, now, this letter has been taken from the message version. All right, so the message version is occasionally quite hard-hitting. All right? Um, <laughs> so if you would like to follow along in whichever version you are using, this is the reference that you need, Revelation 2, 18 to 29, and it's on, I did look it up in the worship time. I was concentrating, honestly. It's on page 12335 in the Blue Bibles, if you happen to have one of those handy. Uh, so, Jan, would you like to read the letter sure. to the Church of Thyatira, please? Oh, look. The Church of Thyatira. Oh, I've got a letter. <laughs> I love getting letters. I wonder what the letter says. 
I always knew Jan would overplay this part. <laughs> it's quite a long letter to the Church of Thyatira, I'll warn you now. Oh, well, that is a long letter. Dear Church, I see everything you're doing for me impressive. The love and the faith, the service and the persistence, yes, very impressive. You get better at it every day. But why do you let that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, mislead my dear servants into cross-denying, self-indulging religion? I gave her a chance to change her ways, but she has no intention of giving up a career in the gold business. I'm about to lay her low, along with her partners, as they play their sex and religion games, the bastard offering of their idol whoring, I will kill. Then every church will know that appearances don't impress me. I x-ray every motive and make sure you get what's coming to you. But why do you let that Jezebel who calls herself... Oh, hang on. Oh, sorry. Unless you want me to go to the next religion game. No, no, that's fine. Go from there. I x-ray every motive and make sure you get what's coming to you. The rest of you Thyatirans, who have nothing to do with this outrage, who scorn this playing around with the devil that gets paraded as profundity, be assured I'll not make any life harder for you than it already is. Hold on to the truth you have until I get there. Here's the reward I have for every conqueror. Everyone who keeps at it, refusing to give up, you'll rule the nations. Your shepherd king rule as firm as an iron staff, their resistance fragile as clay pots. This was the gift my father gave me. I pass it along to you, and with it, the morning star. Sorry, it's doubled up again. Sorry. Are your ears awake? Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Okay, right. I told you it was hard hitting. Oh, don't take that with you. Can you imagine receiving that letter? That's, that's one for a, a meeting, isn't it? Um, but that is a typical feedback sandwich. Yeah. So, <laughs> absolutely classic feedback sandwich. You start off with the good stuff that they're doing, and there's a lot of good stuff. There's a very long list of good stuff, and we'll talk about that in a second. Then comes up, then this is what you're doing wrong, and then it finishes on a positive note. So let's have a think about um, Thyatira. So Thyatira um, was fairly underwhelming, um, it has to be said. There was absolutely nothing significant about the town at all. Nothing. It was, it was one of those really underwhelming places. It was, um, it was not a, a city of, of any political importance. It wasn't particularly religiously important. It had no glorious past or history to, to look back on. And it wasn't cultural or academic in any way, shape, or form. It was, it was one of those sort of nondescript places. It, um, it did have, um, I don't know whether I've got this on there, but it did have a sort of army, a garrison. But <laughs> they were there just to hold the armies back for a while so that the proper towns could get themselves sorted. So they were kind of, dispensable. 
Okay, so they weren't intended to fight. They were just there as a bit of a back... Oh, I don't use that word. <laughs> they were there as a bit of a, a barrier. Let's use that word. They were there as a bit of a barrier just to slow things down a bit. Um, so they were, yeah, they were, they were seen as dispensable. Um, so not the most exciting place in the world, yet this was the longest of the seven letters, which is interesting. What's in the longest letter to the least significant town? Was there anything at all significant about the town? And it was really only that they were, they were on a trade route. So they did have lots of trades coming through. There were lots of what we might call nowadays blue collar workers in the town. So they did a lot of practical, practical things. So it was, um, they had lots of trade guilds and that caused some of the problems that we'll talk about in a, in a second. So they would have had bronze workers and carpenters and, they did a lot of uh, dyeing cloth. Um, so remember Lydia, who was the seller of purple cloth. She may well have come from, from this town. So there is something significant about it, but not a lot else. Okay, so Thyatira, not a lot else. So when you, need to, when you look at a letter, and you're looking at the context of letter, you need to see who it's, who it's from. So this letter, um, Jesus refers to himself, and if you're looking in, in your Bibles, you'll see he refers to himself as the Son of God. Um, and he, he makes it very clear that it is God talking in this instance. And he makes it very clear that he sees everything. He sees things that people miss. And that can be a little uncomfortable at times if we think about God seeing everything. Um, and I, I, I imagine it was a little uncomfortable for this church when they sort of think, oh, well, yeah, we're doing all right. This is fine. We're doing good. And we'll talk about all the good things they're doing. And then you went, but I see this. Okay. So he sees everything. Um, in Hebrews 4, it says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. In Isaiah, it says, um, woe to those who go to the great depths to hide their plans from the Lord. And who does their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? God sees. God knows. And it makes it very clear um, in this. He, he knows not just what we do, but he knows how we feel about what we do. Um, and yeah, that can be um, a, a slight shock. But he does see the good stuff that this church are doing. So there is an awful lot of good stuff. And he, he starts off and he talks for a long time about all the positive things about this church. So uh, we've got a few up here. Um, verse 19, it says, I know when I see your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, I know that you're doing more than you did at first. This is not just a church that's kind of doing the same thing as they've always done. They're doing more. They're doing great stuff. They, they were very busy. They were a really busy church. And they had love. So some of the other churches were being sort of reprimanded or challenged about the fact that they were doing things, but they didn't have the love. But God points out that this church, they have love for one another. They have faith. They have patient endurance. So the things that they're battling through, they're battling through patiently. They're keeping going. They're not giving up. If we'd gone to that church on a Sunday morning, we would have seen a great church. 
we'd have gone in and we'd gone, this is fantastic. I bet they had great coffee. Yeah. But they've got great, they'd, great coffee. They'd have, they'd have amazing cakes. You know, this church, they would have shared things with one another. They would have had all sorts of, had lots of people involved in things. They'd have been doing lots of activities. They'd have done a great parent and toddler group. I don't know where the churches of the day did parent and toddler groups. But if they did, they would have had a great one. They would have done great make lunches. They, they had all sorts of stuff going on. And we'd have, we'd have gone there and we'd have sat in the back pew or whatever they sat on and gone, this is a fabulous church. This is amazing. I imagine much like people coming to our church feel. Yes, they do. this is amazing. The coffee is good. The service is good. The worship is good. Everything is great about this church. And you could well leave it there. And they probably, they were fine. They were, this is great. This is amazing. Um, our church is, is doing everything that we need to do. But God has x-ray, they use the term in, in the message, x-ray vision. Yeah, you, it, who's had an x-ray? Yeah. You see all sorts of things. Did anyone see the x-ray of um, tennis player man? Andy Murray, thank you. Andy Murray. He, was, he tweeted from his hospital, it's just a hip operation. I probably shouldn't say this. But someone pointed out on Twitter that actually the x-ray showed a little more than his hip, if you look very carefully. Yes, doctors are nodding. It's quite funny. So x-rays see everything. <laughs> everything. God's vision is 2020. God does not need to go to Specsavers. Oh, shush. Siri's trying to help me. Um, this, if you can't see it at the back of the sun, is just a single worm in an apple. What's worse than a single worm in an apple? Half a worm in an apple. Anyway, (laughs) a single worm in an apple. From the outside, the apple looks amazing. It looks fantastic. But that single worm on the inside will eat it, and it will just be rotten, and you'd bite into it. And you know that awful moment when you bite in? This apple is, is rotten from the inside. And that's what Jesus saw about this church. He looked past all the good stuff that they were doing, and there's nothing wrong with the good stuff they were doing, but he looked in 2020 vision, and he saw what the problem was. And the problem was they had let somebody falsely present the gospel. Um, someone that they were, he is referred to in the, in the letter as Jezebel. Now, it, she may have been called Jezebel, um, but it's, it could just be a reference to the Jezebel um, in the Old Testament, who was a little of an underhand lady, shall we say. A very nasty piece of work. She met, she met an untimely end. Um, yes, uh, have a read of, have a read of that. We, we, may, we may refer to her in a second. So this false prophetess, um, by the way, was not being disputed because she was a woman. It was because of what she was saying, okay? So it's not just because she was a woman. Um, And she was basically giving a false message, saying certain things were okay when they weren't. And the church had not put a stop to it, effectively. They'd let this fester kind of in the depths of the church, and it was causing um, a massive problem. They were allowing her to continue this deception, So from the outside, this church looked amazing. But from the inside, they were allowing this false message to escalate. And from the inside, we've seen with this apple, it can make a massive 
massive difference. We won't go too much into Jezebel. And the problem that this church had was that they, like I said, they'd allowed it to, con- they'd allowed it continue. And they hadn't, they hadn't kind of tested what was being said. They hadn't gone back and said, okay, I'm not going to listen to everything that's coming out of these people's mouths. Let's just double check. And that was causing huge issues. And this is something we do need to be careful of because we have to take responsibility for checking what we hear and what we're being told is actually in line with what God is saying. They, they, they weren't. They were just almost being lazy, I suppose, in letting this kind of false message come through and not checking um, with themselves. So how do we, how do we today spot false prophets? How do we spot when somebody is slightly twisting actually what God is saying? And there's a few things we can think about. False prophets will tend to teach that the Bible is not authoritative. Always, always, always go back to the Bible. If somebody is telling you something, check, does that match with what it says in the Bible? Always check. Because if it's contrary to what is said in the Bible, question it. There is something wrong, probably. False prophets tend to elevate, this is another thing raised about the Bible, they tend to elevate personal experience over the teachings of Scripture. The Bible, it's old, it's out of date, it's old-fashioned. We need to do things that feel good. Yeah, we need to, we need to feel, yeah, we do all this stuff that feels good. You know, some of these rules in the Bible, they're not relevant anymore. Um, it, it needs to feel good. And we can, we can move away without even realizing sometimes, we can move away from, from the truth. False prophets will often teach that something evil can be good. Now, what was happening in the church, and because of where this, this town was and what they did, they had a lot of these trade guilds. So if you were um, a dyer of cloth, you would have joined the guild for dyers of cloth. Or if you were a carpenter, you would have joined the carpenter's guild. And part of being part of that guild, it's almost like being part of a club, there were things that you had to do. Um, and each guild would have had a, a god that they worshipped. So there was a lot of idol worship and a lot of sacrifices to gods. And it would have been taught, and what this Jezebel was doing was teaching that you need to make a living. So you've got to be involved in this stuff, or you can't make a living. So you have no choice. You've got to get involved in this bad stuff, even though deep down you probably know it's wrong. And she was teaching that actually it was okay, because you need to make a living. And so much, I think, the world today we can relate to this. And actually, yeah, we, we need to do things this way because that's the way the world is doing it and we need to be part of the world and we need to be able to make a living. No, we need to make a stand and we need to stand for what we, um, what we believe in. But it's very easy, isn't it, to rationalize bad behavior. Yeah, and, we, and we can do that. We can do that today. Yeah, it's very easy to say, well, I'm going to use chocolate as an example. All right. I could eat that chocolate. I know I shouldn't eat that chocolate, but I really want to eat that chocolate. I'll tell you what. I will eat the chocolate 
And then I'll do 10 minutes on the cross trainer and that will be all right. It's fine. Easily. I've rationalised it. Fine. Job done. I can eat the chocolate. Yeah, simple, stupid example, but you can kind of see how something more significant, you could very much rationalise and explain away the bad behaviour. So you can imagine the people in this church, well, I, you know, I, I've got to join this trade guild because that's what I do. I need to be part of that arena. And therefore, if I join this trade guild, I've got to eat the meals and, you know, of food that has been sacrificed to gods. And I've got to, to kind of worship this false god because that's what everybody does. And it must have been really hard for them to not do that. So what was the solution? Well, actually, it's pretty harsh. Yeah. God was not too keen on this Jezebel woman. And I've given her a chance, and to be fair, I've given her a chance to repent, I've given her a chance to stop, but she hasn't. Okay, so um, there was going to be judgment on Jezebel and anyone who continued to believe and follow her her ways. You know, don't do it. Move away. Turn around. Do something different. Oops, kick the thing. That's great. But there was encouragement. This praise sandwich... Yeah, this is the good bit at the end. Because there was encouragement. There were people in this church who had not done it. They'd stood firm. They had not followed her ways. And there was a real positive note to them. It was a, well done. You've really done well. Stay firm and be faithful to me. Because if you do, then there were some amazing promises for this church You'll have authority over the nations. You'll have victory over your enemies. You will walk with Jesus himself. Yeah, these are positive things. So there was real encouragement. And I don't know, imagine yourself in that situation. You're in the church and you've maybe been swaying to one side or the other. I think this would have swayed me back to the truth. It's like, okay, if I stand firm, then this is what I've got coming. This is amazing stuff coming. God say that to our church? I really hope so. I really hope so. Thyatira looked alive. From the outside, it looked amazing, but was actually rotten and dead from the inside. So we can't just look at our church and go, oh yeah, look how great, we're, we're amazing, it's fantastic. We need to look deep within. What's going on deep within our church? What's going on deep within us? We can present this outward appearance individually of being this perfect Christian, but actually inside, is that what we really are? Maybe a challenge to us. Okay, time is rattling on. Let's move down uh, to the next church in our postal route. Thank you very much. Mel, I'll give you this one. Here is your letter. Hmm? You can stand up. It's entirely up to you. If you want to follow it along in your Bible, then please feel free. It's always exciting, as Jan said, to get a letter that isn't brown. No brown envelopes? No brown envelopes. I got the shorter one. It is shorter, this one. And no horrible words. I did say to Helen, I don't want horrible words. No, not too many horrible words. Dear church, I see right through your work. You have a reputation for vigour and zest, but you're dead. Stone dead. Up on your feet, take a deep breath. Maybe there's life in you yet. 
But I wouldn't know it by looking at your busy work. <laughs> Nothing of God's work has actually been completed. Your condition is desperate. Think of the gift you had once had in your hands, the message you heard with your ears. Grasp it again and turn back to God. If you pull the covers back over your head and sleep on oblivious to God, I'll return when you least expect it. Break into your life like a thief in the night. Up on your feet, take a deep breath. And again, it's repeated just like oh, that. Oh, sorry. Darn computer. You still have a few followers in Jesus of Jesus in Sardis who haven't ruined themselves, wallowing in the muck of the world's ways. Oh, I like that phrase. It's good, isn't it? They'll walk <laughs> with me on parade. They've proved their worth. Conquerors will march in the victory parade. Their names indelible in the book of life. I'll lead them up and present them by name to my father and his angels. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Thank you very much. I'll oh, just bung it there, that's fine. This one comes straight in, doesn't it? <laughs> There's no nice introduction to this one. This is a straight in there. Um, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Stone dead. Wake up. This, this is, yeah, this is not so much of the, the praise sandwich. I'm not sure you've forgotten about that course, I think, when you wrote this letter. So, let's think about, um, Sardis. So Sardis was next on, on the list. If you look back at the map, he was kind of next on the, on the road. Now, Sardis was a completely different place. Um, it was, it was rich. It was, it was wealthy. It was on lots of trade routes, lots of roads and rivers and, and all sorts of things crossing. Um, they had tons of money. They had a, a gold-bearing river ran right down the main... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good place to live. Yeah, of all the places, it's not a bad place to live. Um, it was built kind of up a bit, so it was kind of impenetrable for army. So it was, in that sense, a very safe place to live. Um, it was destroyed by an earthquake at one point, um, but that was fine because the emperor paid for them to rebuild it and paid back all the taxes that they'd paid previously to help fund it. So that was fine. Um, so they hadn't really had to, to strive for anything. They hadn't really had any challenges or any problems. They were used to being rich and as a consequence were quite complacent. Um, so you kind of think of that tone. And what they did have was hypocrisy. Because they, they were a church that declared that they were Christians, but actually it was a bit of a let's pretend religion. It didn't mean it was in name only. It hadn't ever hit their hearts. They hadn't needed to strive for anything. Um, they were just basically going through the motions. When I was doing some research on this, someone had put a phrase which I really liked, said the church was a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> which I quite liked. It was, a, it was a big, you know, successful, big church, but actually it had no depth to it. Yeah, nothing had sunk into their hearts. Yeah, almost like stone, stone hearts. Um, where Ephesus lacked love, Sardis lacked life. So they looked good on the outside, but it was basically just routine. There were effectively lots of 
unsaved people in reality going through the motions of church. Of church. So what are the, the symptoms of lifelessness? Religion without Christianity. Religion without Christianity. It's very easy to to be religious, but actually not have it impact your heart. Yeah? Be religious, but not impact your heart. The absence of struggles. Well, that might be a good thing. You think, oh, brilliant. Yes, a church with no problems. That would be amazing. Yeah, let's go for one of those. But actually, struggles is what brings you closer to God. Difficulties in church life, in personal life, is what brings you closer to God and make you rely on God. Last week, um, I was out with the youth and we were talking about the Battle of Jericho and how the most ridiculous battle policy, let's walk around the walls and then blow a trumpet or two and it'll all fall down. You know, it was just an indication that God was saying, I'm going to do this in my strength. Yeah, you, it's not your battle, it's not your army, it's not your weapons that's going to do it, it's me. And when you go through struggles, it's a time you, you have to say, I cannot do this on my own, I need God to do it for me. Um, and because Sardis hadn't had those struggles, they had never really got to that point where, they'd had to, where the rubber had, had never hit the road, if you want to use that phrase. Um, and they were focused on the past. Everything's been all right, so therefore everything will be all right in the future. We've just done this, we've never had the challenge, therefore we'll just carry on doing it, and it's fine. Um, And they were, I suspect, completely unaware that this was a problem. And there was an action that needed to be taken. In all of these letters, you'll notice that that, it's pointed out to the church what the problems are, and then it doesn't finish there. There's always a, but if you do this it will be okay. This is what I want you to do as a result of it. Um, So yes, they were called on to repent. A few had remained faithful, and again, they get that promise from God that he will walk with them, and he will be with them. So it's good to look back and look at these, these letters to these churches in all those years ago. But there's no point doing that unless we relate it to ourselves. And not just our church, but ourselves as well. Because all of this can be related to us as individuals. These two churches, um, on the outside, looked all right. Yeah, a lot of people doing the right thing, being busy, doing things. Great parent-toddler group, great Sunday services, great coffee, all that stuff. But underneath, there was nothing going on. There was nothing real. And the challenge for us is that we need to demonstrate our faith. It needs to be real in our hearts, um, individually and, and as a church. It needs to come from within. We need to test what we're being taught. Yeah, I'm absolutely very happy for anyone to go away and check out what we've said on a Sunday morning. Yeah, don't just believe it because we've said it from the front. Don't just believe it because you've heard it on UCB or whatever, test it. Is it right? Is that what God really says? Challenge it. And we need to make sure we're not looking back. It's very easy to look back and say, okay, well, I can see that God was really with me then in that period of my life. That was brilliant. 
and trying to live off that experience for the years and the months to come. I know when, when we were young, and I think I've said this before, you know, once a year we'd go to a Bible camp, and it was great. And we go to the Bible, and we come back, and you kind of try and live off that experience of the, the big worship and the massive youth work and all of that stuff. And it would last for about two weeks or something, and then five days. Yeah, mate, I was being generous, two weeks. And then it would start to tail off. You can't live off that experience forever. It's great to do those things, but you've got to take it with you into life. So let's not look back and let's not live off past experiences. Let's not live off what we used to do and what we have done. Let's look forward. What is God asking us to do now and in the future, individually and as a church? So there's the challenge, I think. We need to examine our own hearts. Have we really committed to God in our hearts? Or are we just being religiously religious? I like that phrase, religiously religious. Do we need to actually take a step back, a, a look in our own hearts and say, yeah, you know what, I might have become a little bit more religiously religious than I once was. And I need to come back and say, you know what, God, I want you in every aspect of my life. I want you to soften my heart. I don't want a stone heart. I, want, I don't want to just do church. I want to do God. And I want to do God in my life. And you know what? If we all did that, how amazing would our Sunday mornings be? I'm not saying they're not amazing anyway, but how brilliant would that be if God kind of burst out of us in all aspects of our lives? Yeah, we'd, we'd run out of chairs. There'd be so many people wanting to come in here. So there is a challenge for us as a church, but there is a challenge for us individually. Are we going to sing? Yes? Can we sing? Oh, Tony's... I would like to sing, if that's okay. Does everybody mind if we sing? Is that okay? Because I do think it's good to finish, because as we sing, I just... Look into your hearts. Yeah, let's look into our hearts, and are there bits of our lives that are not as soft as they should be? Yeah, let's look for those hard bits and ask God to make them squidgy. Um, In a good way, not squidgy in a bad way. Squidgy in a good way. Sorry, I know, I'm moving this because you'll want this. There we go. I'm going to go this way. And just as you're singing, just spend just a couple of minutes praying. If you can do two things at the same time, brilliant. And just ask God to point out areas of your life where they have become a little bit religiously religious and ask God to make them godly again. Yeah?